All right. Yeah, I know. Well, why? You can come forward a bit more. All right. Okay. What up? How's everyone going? Good. Well, guys, all right. How about uh, we take this opportunity to number one, bring the chairs a little bit closer, and number two, say hi to someone you haven't seen in a while. Or Let's uh, let's start off by praying. Dear Lord, thank you for the time that we can spend together. Thank you, Lord, that um, we're all here because you brought us here. We thank you, Lord, for um, just the opportunity that we can uh, to meet together and to love you and to hear from you and to worship you and to um, uh, hang out together. Lord, we just pray that tonight will be a time where you would speak to us because we want to hear your voice and we want to be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Michelle again. Yay. I didn't realize we needed a violin until we heard it. <laughs> um, now, now we can't go back. So. Alright, so um, uh, on the 4th of May, 2015. No. There's a guy by the name of Steve Sent Sweet who made it into the Guinness World Records. Um, why? Because of his collection. He had a collection of Star Wars memorabilia. Hey, yeah, yeah, well done. You knew it. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate So, Star Wars memorabilia. He had uh, 93,260 pieces as of the time that he was entered into the Guinness World Records. And uh, someone, probably his wife, told him that she couldn't, he couldn't keep the collection in their house anymore. So he set up a whole museum on his property, a whole other building that he turned into a museum for his collection. Uh, it's called Rancho Obi-Wan. You can go visit it in uh, California, um, northern part of California in the US of A. And uh, this man, I, I think if we met this guy, it wouldn't take too long to realize what his passions were about, what he was interested in. I don't reckon it would be too long before he would tell you all about his collection. Um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, you guys know this about me. I'm a collector, like, I'm, that's, like you know, that's innate in my very being. I collect things. It's a bit of a problem, but um, don't talk to Sarah about it afterwards. Um, uh, I have a, a, a chest, a box in, uh, at home, and in, in that box, so you know, I collect many things, but in this box, I've put all these little things uh, over the years of my life um, that mean something to me, that uh, just make me remember something. So in it, I've got this crystal that I ended up finding um, in some, I can't even remember where, but it was when we were kids, and I found this little quartz crystal, looks sick, um, and that's in my box. I've got, uh, when we went to Sovereign Hill as a family when we were kids, uh, and that was the bomb when you were a child. We went gold panning and I found some gold and I got that in a little bottle and 
Um, when we went to Disney World, I got a little pin, a Mickey Mouse pin. Um, that's in my box. So these little little knickknacks and trinkets, and behind everything in there that means something to me, there's a story, and it's meaningful because of the story. And we all we all do this. We all are collectors in some shape or uh, form. Uh, you know, some of you guys, it's certain clothing that you know you love because it. It was, you know, it's your lucky whatever, you wore it when this happened and you just would never get rid of it no matter what happens, no matter how tattered it gets or, you know, your favorite uh, album that you've got on CD or, I don't know, whatever, Some, something that means something to you and you collect it, you like to be surrounded by these things and, and they have uh, value to you, maybe they have value to other people as well, um, but at least it has value to you. This is, I think, mean, to me, I feel like this is something that God builds inside of us. What up? Sorry, sorry. That's all right. Yeah, I think this is something that God builds inside of us. This desire to um, be surrounded by people and things that mean something to us and that, uh, I guess, remind us of these pivotal moments in our lives. And uh, I think the reason why I think that this is something of God is because we see God actually do this uh, in the Bible. He actually sets up um, these collections, so to speak, or these um, rituals and, and other things like that to help people remember and point back to the things that he's done uh, for them and the things that he wants to reveal about himself and, and uh, reveal to them about what their calling is. Um, and tonight we're going to look at one of probably the most important uh, elements of that, um, which is the Ark of the Covenant. Um, so the Ark of the Covenant, put your hands up if you know what the Ark of the Covenant is. All right. Uh, in, in, a, in a one word kind of uh, thing, just shout out what it is, like if you could summarize it in one word. Lost. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. It is lost. Someone other than the smart Alec. <laughs> could you believe she's a teacher? <laughs> Um, all right, it's a, it's a box. That's what it is. It's a box. Um, when you first are introduced to this uh, box, uh, it's in Exodus, and it's God telling Moses to build this box, but not really with any intents or purposes about what the box is used for, other than the fact that it was a sacred box that would be set apart for God, and that God would use this box to communicate and display his power um, and might to the Israelites and to, to Moses. Um, but a box is supposed to house things, right? And um, uh, do you know what it houses? Do you know what's inside it? Shout out if you know a couple of things that might be in it. The Ten Commandments? Correct, the Ten Commandments. What else? Bit of yep, correct. Anyone else know the third and final thing? It's a little bit trickier. The rod, of Moses, uh, the rod of Aaron and Moses. Right. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at this box with these special items that God told the Israelites to collect. And we're going to see what it reveals about what God wants for his people, what he wanted to show them, what he wanted them to remember and look back at um, and, uh, and live into in their life. So um, before we do that, um, uh, actually, let's dive straight. Uh, let's read Hebrews 9 as just a way of introduction. So, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. We're going to read through a, a few passages. If you've got your Bible slash phone, pull it out. It's good to read along. 
Uh, I'm going to read from the ESV. Feel free to read from whatever you like the best. Um, but yeah, Hebrews chapter 9. And we're starting at verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. So the author of Hebrews here is about to set up the fact that there's a new covenant and we are people of the new covenant and God is choosing to try to do a work in us. But he's first talking about the old covenant, the original OG you know, covenant that God made with the people. And uh, so he's setting up that there was an earthly covenant with an earthly place. Uh, verse 2, for a tent was prepared, the first section, which were the lampstand, the table, the bread of presence. It's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the table, uh, sorry, the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. So, we know what the Ark of the Covenant looks like, even though it's lost, as Sarah reminded us, because very detailed descriptions of it. And so it was a big box, and there was a bunch of cherubim over the top, which are these uh, angel-like figures, and they're holding their wings. You've, you've seen, hands up if you've seen uh, uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. All right, yeah, very good, okay. Well done, you get brownie points, you are at the top of the class. So um, uh, anyway, just Google it, you'll, you'll see what we're talking about. Uh, and in it were uh, the, the manna, Aaron's staff, and the tablet of the covenant. So, um, let's start off by looking at the manna. So now we're going to jump into Exodus chapter 16. Okay, and this is the story of the manna and how it ended up in the Ark of the Covenant. You ready? Alright, here we go. So Exodus 16. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to start reading. It's pretty much the whole chapter. I won't read the whole chapter because I don't want to bore you, but follow along as much as possible. I'll tell you when I'm about to jump ahead, okay? So Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So they've just escaped Egypt. They've been liberated from slavery. They're on their way. They're two months in. Now they're in the desert. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily, so Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what, we are, uh, for what are we that you grumble against us? So people are upset. They're in the desert. They're like, we're going to die of starvation. Well, I wish I was back being a slave in Egypt. At least I would have died fat that way. And Moses hears from God and God's like, don't worry, I got you, I'm going to provide some crazy stuff in a second. And then we're going to jump to verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning, dew lay around the camp. When the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of, uh, of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? 
uh, literally what they said was manna. That's what manna uh, means. It's what? What is it? Uh, for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an armor, which is a certain quantity of it, according to the number of persons that you, each of you has in his tent. And I'll skip this part. Essentially what he tells them is he says, all right, there's all this manna on the floor, uh, all this food that God has provided for you. Go collect, pick it up, each of you for each day's supply. No more, no less. Whatever you can eat in a day, that's how much you are to collect. And the people, what do they do? Some of them, they take a little bit more, and they're like, oh, I'm going to save this up for a few extra days. And some of them, they don't have enough. But once you don't have enough or don't collect enough, guess what? It all pans out. They end up having more than enough by the end of the day. The people who take more than enough or who save a little bit for tomorrow because they can't be bothered going out the next morning and collecting it, Guess what happens? The next day, the manna rots and there's worms and there's all this yucky stuff coming out of it. And then on the sixth day, which is their Friday, uh, um, leading to the Sabbath day, God says to the people, collect double portion because on the Saturday, on the Sabbath, you're to rest. You're not to do anything. You're just to chill out, relax, enjoy being free. Uh, don't work. And so whatever you collect on the Friday will last you for the Saturday. So just get a bit extra, and, um, and guess what happens? People who are a bit greedy, they like this manner stuff, they're like, oh, I'll just go out and sneak out in the early morning because there's probably not going to be as much, and so I'll just sneak out in the morning and get some more. Guess what? There's none in the morning, and God says to the people, hey, I told you, collect enough on Friday so you have uh, on Saturday and rest on the Saturday. Don't do any work. And then uh, we pick up in verse uh, 25. Uh, Moses said, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out together, but they found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Verse 29, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name. Uh, called its name uh, manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Uh, now I want to have some wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer, a portion of it, be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put it um, put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron placed it before the testimony would be kept and the people ate. Uh, the people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land, a promised land. They ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And that is how Aaron and Moses put that little bit aside and kept it in the Ark of the Covenant. The question here begs us, well, why? What's the point? A souvenir? Like, oh, yeah, bro, look. This was some weird bread stuff that was like in the morning that rotted sometimes and didn't rot other times and tastes like honey, but, you know, we can't eat it now, so just check it out and put it in a museum. Like, what's the point? God here is telling the people of Israel, depend on me. He's telling his people, depend on me. He's telling them, just like when I took you up out of slavery and led you through the wilderness and you were going to starve, you needed me to feed you. 
you wouldn't have made it otherwise. So remember that. Remember that I am the source of everything that you will ever need. And also, he's telling them, I'm faithful. I'm not just going to lead you out of the wilderness and just leave you to die. No, I'm faithful. What I, what I do for you, I will complete. I will take you through where you need to go through, and I'll provide for you along the way. So the first thing in the Ark of the Covenant, the first thing, the first uh, thing that he wanted them to collect was a symbol, a sign of them to trust him and then to know that he was good and that he would provide and that he is worthy of their faith and their trust. All right, how, how you going? Good? All right. Let's go on to the tablets of the covenant or the Ten Commandments, all right? Now, uh, this, is, this is dense. Okay, you ready? You're going to come with me? Yeah? All right. Let's uh, open up in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Okay, so we all know the, the tablets, right? Seen Prince of Egypt or um, uh, the Moses, Char Charlton Heston, that's the guy's name, yeah, the Hanaranga. Yeah, with uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, the tablets, the, they look like, you know, the semicircles. And, yeah, you've all seen them, yeah? Okay, all right. Five on one side, five on the other side, apparently. That's what we picture when we see it. Um, and these stones that were carved by the hand of God with the, with the Ten Commandments, the first ten laws um, and the beginning of the covenant between God and his people. We're going to read, uh, in Deuteronomy 5, we're going to read what those laws are. We're going to read those Ten Commandments. Um, there's two ways to think about these Ten Commandments. All right? One way, which is, I think, what most of us and most of the world thinks when you read these Ten Commandments is, look at these rules. Look at these rules. Now, they're pretty good rules, uh, as hopefully you'll agree with me. They're pretty, like, decent standards of living, I think, and, like, they're a good guide book for the way to work. And modern Western society is based on these fundamental principles, these fundamental uh, commandments. But uh, as I hope we'll come to realize, there's more behind it than just a set of rules. So let's have a read. Uh, Deuteronomy 5, uh, verse 2 to 22. And just one more thing before we read it. Um, this, is, this is the second time in the whole Bible that the commandments are actually written. The first time is in Exodus chapter 20, when uh, they actually, Moses actually, you know, they, they reach Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and uh, Moses goes up and he gets the command. It's the actual narrative, the story. This part here, in Deuteronomy uh, means re repetition or repeated statement. Deutero, uh, repeat, two. Um, so Moses here is actually recounting the story to the people. They're about to cross into the promised land, and Moses is about to die, and before they enter the promised land, he's giving his final speech to the people, and it's documented, and this is what Moses is telling them. He says in verse 2, The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb, it was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At the time I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image, in the form of anything in the heavens above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them, or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
You should not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will uh, not hold anyone guiltless who, who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you should do not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, etc., etc. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and it, it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, <clears throat> you shall not ke- uh, covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed. Uh, in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud, and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. And then Moses gives this little uh, um, explanation that on that day, you all listened to these commands and you all said, this is good. What God is saying, we will obey. And then God said, and, and Moses says in verse 29, then God said, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. So this is the story of the Ten Commandments. We've got this situation. God, he's just set these people free, and he's setting them up as a nation. He's saying, these are the, the rules, the laws that I set before you. You follow these. You are my people. I am your God. You will be my representatives to all the nations of the world. And that if you obey these commands um, and you fear me, that it will go well with you um, and your children and that you will live forever in this uh, wonderful state of being God's elect people. So it's very easy to just look at this and say, okay, set of rules, follow them, tick, 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 done, we'll be right. Okay? And yet, uh, if it was that simple, first of all, we wouldn't have the rest of the Bible. But also, secondly of all, uh, I think that's missing the heart of what God's trying to say. That's the law code. That's the rule book. That's the list. Now let's look at the story behind the list. So we're going to go, we're going to jump a little bit forward to Deuteronomy chapter 9. We're going to actually quickly, I know, sorry, read the story about how this all went down. Okay? So from verse 7 to verse 18. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And the Lord was so angry with you, he was ready to destroy you. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. This is Moses talking. I neither ate bread nor drank water, and the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on that day of assembly. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here. For your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stubborn people. 
Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain was burning with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord. Prostrate, sorry, I hate it when people do that. It's not prostrate, it's prostrate. My bad. Before the Lord, as before, 40 days and 40 nights he lay. I neither ate, uh, neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. You get what's happened here? So as God is actually like speaking these commands, the first of which is like have no other gods other than me. Do not make any image or any of that. As he is saying these things, as he is writing them down in front of him, he is also seeing what's going on at the bottom of the mountain. The people who just a few moments ago were saying, whatever God says, we'll obey. We can't wait. This is great. Who have just witnessed the ten plagues against Egypt, the judgments uh, against Egypt, and liber being liberated by God, who have witnessed the Red Sea part, who have already had the manna by this point, who have witnessed all these great things. What are they doing? They're making this idol and they're praising it for saving them and not. And while God is on the mountain with Moses, fire and cloud and thunder and lightning before them, they are completely ignoring. And you know what God does? He still gives the command. He still gives the covenant. Because you know, and we've talked about this before, a covenant is not a set of rules. It's not necessarily a contract. What it actually is, it's a binding. It's an agreement. It's something where you say, you, you, I'm going to be bound to you. Here's, here's the set of things that we promise to each other and let's shake on it and it's unbreakable and I'm committed to you and you're committed to me. And God here is making these laws, these uh, commands of the covenant, not to restrict or to ruin fun or to whatever, but he's saying, I'm choosing to bind myself to you and these are the, the bright boundaries that exist to have a relationship with me because if you want me to dwell with you and you to be in, able to enter my presence and to be this people that I want you to be, to declare my goodness and my glory to the other nations, to be this uh, pinnacle of, of humanity that he wants to create and to be, to be this, you've got to follow these, these laws. These are, this is who I am. And yet, at the very same time, they're breaking it. So God is holding his hand out and... They're shaking it, but behind their back. It's essentially, you know what it is? It's the same, and God himself uses this example. It's, they're cheating on you. Very first day of the wedding night, they're cheating on you. And they've just had their vows on the altar. They've committed their undying love. And uh, th that very night, they sneak out from the marriage bed and uh, they cheat. And God is enraged. He's angry, as I think we could understand if we put ourselves in his shoes. Um, and then uh, we hear this in Deuteronomy 10, verses 1 to 5. At the time, so after Moses comes down, breaks the tablets, shouts at the people, lies down before God, weeping and praying on their behalf, God says this, At the time the Lord said to me, Cut for yourself two new tablets out of stone like the first, and come up to me on the mountain 
and make an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke, and you should put them in the ark, this, this ark of wood that he's about to make. So Moses said, he, I made an ark out of acacia wood, which became the ark of the covenant, and I cut two new tablets of stone like the first, and went up the mountain with the two tablets in my hand, and he, God, wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before the Ten Commandments that the Lord has spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and I came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are, as the Lord commanded me. They're not rules. They are rules, but they're not rules. The point of these rules are not to follow them, although that is the point. But the real point, the real essence here, is that God is declaring to his people, he's saying, this is who I am, this is who I stand for. Don't murder, because I'm a God of life. Don't steal, because I'm a generous God who gives abundantly. Don't break vows and oaths and cheat and, and commit adultery, because I'm faithful. Don't steal, don't lie, don't... Because I am this, this, and this, and this. And if you want to be in this relationship with me, if you want to understand who I am, it's time to start to change. It's time to start to recognize who you are and to live a different life. And here it is. Here it is on stone, written with my very finger. Here's who I am. I've given you my name. Now I give you who I am. In these ten just very simple rules. And cherish them. Keep them always. And even though I saw you break them, even though I, it hurt me deeply, even though I know you will break them time and time again, here it is again. Here it is again. Try again. Try again. Try again. Try again. Because at the end of the day, these laws, he knows. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows that there's nothing here that is able to follow him truly. And so he knows that he has to step into the fray. But he still wants us to try. And he still is desperate for us to try and step closer into a relationship with him. So, why are the tablets in the Ark of the Covenant? What do they represent? It represents God's desire for a relationship. It represents this covenant, this marriage union, this relationship that God set up with his people for the sake of their benefit, but also for the sake of the benefit of all the other nations in the world. And it's his desire to say, learn who I am, draw near to me, let me be your God, let me elevate you to a place where you are my people, um, and live this life with me, a desire to bless and set apart his people, a, call, a higher calling, better way to live. God's faithfulness despite our failure. He's writing them again, even though we fail. The Ten Commandments, yeah? yeah. Uh, I remember when Sarah and I were, uh, I think we were engaged at this point in time. We went to, well, it was a weird set of occurrences where we were, every time we would go to church together, some, some dude would be talking about relationships or whatever. So, so anyway, there was this one uh, guy called Alan Meyer, fantastic guy. If you don't know him, look him up. He's really good. Um, and he was talking, and he's like a relationship marriage guru. And he was legitimately like talking about this. He was talking about the Ten Commandments, not as a set of rules, but rather um, essentially God's marriage vows. Uh, that he, he says to us and he wants us to say back to him. It's this declaration in the same way that when I st stood before Sarah on the, on the uh, altar um, uh, when we got married and I said, I, you know, I, I can't remember what I said. But, uh, it's written down somewhere and I should have pulled it up for this occasion. But anyway, um, uh, when I promised these things and I, I meant it, 
and I hope I'm looking at it, even though I can't remember what I said. But um, uh, when I said these things, these were the highest ideal that I could hold myself to. Not so that if I break them, I expect Sarah to judge me or to hurt me or to break off the relationship, but rather because these are the ideals that I want to guide my relationship with my wife. These are the ideals that I know will bring us together and will hopefully bring us together to God as well and help us be people that will glorify Him and build each other up. So this is what the Ten Commandments are, and this is what uh, the people of Israel and what we are called to do. But uh, the story unfolds, but we'll talk more about that near the end. Okay, the last thing in the Ark of the Covenant, Aaron's staff. All right, hands up. Did you ever know that Aaron's staff was in the Ark of the Covenant before? Yeah, cool. Did you do you know why it budded? All right, we're gonna we're gonna read that story again. Okay, so let's look. It's in uh, Numbers chapter sixteen and, and, and chapter seventeen. Uh, it's a huge set of chapters. We're not gonna read it together, like all of it. But I'm gonna uh, hopefully sleep with a few key parts that we'll stream through. So number sixteen, pull it up. Okay, so what's happened uh, in the story so far is uh, Moses and um, Aaron they've led the people out. The Ark of the Covenant exists at this point. The Ten Commandments exist. Everything's happening. They're uh, in the wilderness. They're in their like, little roundabout time over the 40 years where you know, a bunch of bad stuff happens with the people and they're all uh, crazy. And what's going on is um, uh, opposition rises up. This thing called Korah's Rebellion. And the sons of Korah, they rise up and they wanna, they're like, hey, we'll, we'll read it actually. So verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan, the son of uh, uh, Abiram, the son of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with the number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation. So these dudes, plus 250 others, came up uh, to Moses and Aaron, and they said, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said to them, you've gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Okay, so you've got the scene in your head. So these guys coming up, uh, Korah and his, his pals and 250 chief leaders, and they're all saying to Moses and Aaron, Guys, God says that we're a kingdom of priests, and we're a nation of blah, 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 care, you know, all this kind of stuff. Why are you setting yourself above us? We're all holy. Get out of here. We don't like you anymore. You, you guys are playing like, you know, too high and mighty for us and, you know, just get over yourselves. We don't want you anymore. You can uh, move on. Okay? Now, hands up if you agree. It's not a bad argument. Yeah, it's not a bad argument. It's like, uh, well, yeah, God did say that. He did say that he'll make you a kingdom of prayer. These are the chief guys as well. Like, so clearly they were elected by Moses and therefore God to rule and lead in some capacity. And so, you know, they're not, they're not bad dudes. They, they're apparently supposedly upstanding people. So yeah, why can't they like say, maybe they've got a point. Maybe Moses is, or Aaron is a bit, you know, up themselves and, and they need to put people down a peg or two. Well, the story progresses and you find out that, uh, no, they're just a bunch of selfish people who are seriously trying to mess up the whole, um, well, just everything, and they've got their own self-interest at heart. And, uh, and so Moses falls before God and is like, God, what do I do? And, and so then Moses goes up to them and he says, all right, all you guys who want to challenge us, bring your senses, the things that they would 
uh, devote to God. Now, the thing you've got to remember here is that the Levites, uh, they were the tribe of Israel that were designated by God to serve him. Right? These were the group of them. They were a whole tribe that was literally their whole job would be to like be priests and stuff. Okay, so these uh, and the Korah and all that kind of stuff. They were they were part of that tribe. Guess who was also part of that tribe? Aaron. Aaron was, but Aaron's family was specifically chosen by God to become the high priests and the servants in the holy of holies, the most holy place. And so, uh, yeah, these guys got a bit of envy and jealousy, and they're like, well, why can't we do that? And why are you set apart here? And this is nepotism and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so, anyway, God says, or Moses tells them, bring your senses and we'll see who God accepts uh, as the proper um, sacrifice or proper thing. And anyway, it, it goes horribly wrong for them. God, uh, this is where the story happens, where the land, whole earth swallows these people up. Um, and God very loudly declares, Moses and Aaron are my select leaders. These are the people who I have elected. Anyone who goes against them, who challenges them, are going against me. And then, literally in the same chapter, like literally a few verses later, you have the people coming up against Moses and Aaron saying, bro, you guys killed pe people of Israel. What are you doing? And Moses is like, uh, excuse me, the earth swallowed them up like it wasn't us. Um, I'm pretty sure that was God kind of making a statement. And then God just gets furious. He gets extremely upset and a plague starts to fall on Israel. We don't, it's an unspecified plague. We don't know what it, what it was. Um, and uh, something like 1,400 people, uh, or maybe more, I can't remember. It's in, it's in Numbers chapter 16. Uh, die until Moses and Aaron plead before God and uh, Aaron is tasked with um, standing in the gap, so to speak. Uh, Aaron is told to step between the living and the dead and to plead on behalf of God to spare um, the living. And God does spare the living. And then in chapter 17, uh, we read this. So there's been a lot of bloodshed, a lot of people have died, and there's a lot of turmoil. And it looks essentially like civil war is about to break out. Um, not the Marvel Civil War, but uh, the civil war between a nation. Um, so yeah, civil war is about to break out. And this is what God says in uh, chapter 17 of Numbers, verses 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and get from them staffs, <coughs> one for each father's house, from all their chiefs according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. So in other words, each tribe of Israel has a leader, and that tribe's leader, that, that leader's, uh, that tribe's leader has a staff, and that leader is supposed to bring their staff to Moses. Okay? Write each man's name on his staff, and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. Because again, Aaron belongs to the, uh, the tribe of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting, in the tabernacle, uh, before the testimony where I meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. So Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs, and uh, the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses deposited the staff before the Lord. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Tasty stuff. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel, 
They looked, and each man took his staff, and the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept in the Ark of the Covenant as a sign for the rebels that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. Thus did Moses as the Lord commanded him. So he did. So we got this situation of people uh, rebelling, da da da, and God is saying, let me put an end to this. Let me show them again who I've chosen. All the stars and the one that grows. Something only I can do. Bring life to a broken branch. Um, I, will, I, will, I will declare who, who is the one who is chosen by me to serve me, to represent the people before me. And who he chooses is who he's chosen all along, which was Aaron. And so his uh, staff sprouts these beautiful flowers and these almonds. And then it's kept in the Ark of the What the heck? Yeah? Like, what a weird story. What do you guys make of that? So, what's the staff all about? Well, okay. God's elect are God's elect. So many times, you'll hear people, you'll say, um, and Jesus actually even spoke on this, um, why is this guy... Uh, like why you know, a guy comes out and they're, they're, you know, talk, they're, they're saved even though they were a rapist or a murderer or whatever. Why is this guy, you know, he's not like, screw this guy, no, he's evil or whatever else. And we discount what God's activity and action is doing in this life. We, we kind of shut it down. The Pharisees did this to Jesus. You know, Jesus would go and cast out a demon and instead of praising God and thanking him for what he was doing uh, and recognizing the fact that it was God, they would say things like, this man is demon-possessed. And he's doing this by the power of demons or whatever. And they reject and neglect God's authority and sovereignty in the situation. And essentially they would put themselves in the place of God and say, I know better. What's going on right now is wrong. Uh, this leader or this person or this situation, this decision, this activity, it's not of God. It's not right. I could do better. I have better ideas. And so what they're doing is essentially saying, God, I don't need you. I am God, I, I, I can do a better job than you, if not just as good of a job. And uh, yeah, so stuff you. And this star is there in the Ark of the Covenant saying, remember who is God. Remember who makes the decisions. Even if you don't understand it, even if you don't like it, God's God. And he will sprout whatever stuff he wants. He will set up anyone who he wants. He will declare whoever his people are to his people. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. You just have to recognize that God is God. And then our role and our job in that situation is to recognize that I am beneath God, that uh, to have some humility, to have the fear of God in our hearts, and to put God in his rightful place in our lives. Um, and not only that, but to work for peace. See, this staff, this staff is a thing that ended the civil war. Out of this staff budding, uh, and God's chosen man, Aaron, peace was declared. Everyone kind of backed off and said, all right, this is God's will. This is the guy. And peace. And we are supposed to be people who work towards and for God's peace in this world, in our lives, amongst each other. And so, do we live that way? Do we have a heart like that? Do we, when we face difficult circumstances, or when we face difficult people, or when we face you know, bad decisions by people who are supposedly uh, elected by God or whatever else. And here I'm talking about the church, and I'm also talking about our, like, civic duty as citizens, 
and I'm also talking about in your universities, I'm talking about everywhere. Do you give God the ability to be God? Or are you someone who thinks you can do better or just wants to stir the pot and see what happens? No. You're people who are called to recognize that God is God. He's set his staff up. He says, remember this stuff. Remember what it means. And be someone who works for my peace and who puts me in my rightful place. So, those are the three things in the Ark of Covenant. So, the law of God, the, the Ten Commandments, the covenant, the thing that is supposed to rep- represent and show God's heart and love for his people and to show the guiding ideal and path for them to live so they can draw near to him. The staff that's supposed to be something that recognizes God's authority and sovereignty and also wills and wishes for his peace to overtake our lives and, and our situations and circumstances. And the manner, a reminder and a recognition of God's absolute abundant blessing and his provision and the fact that he is faithful no matter where we are in our lives. These three things. It's not just in the Ark of the Covenant, ladies and gentlemen. At best, the Ark of the Covenant acted as a reminder for the people of Israel. At best, the people of Israel recognized what the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be, and they bore it in front of them, in front of battles, and bore it in front of them as they entered the Promised Land, and bore it in front of them uh, when they wanted to celebrate, and they uh, worshipped God, and stayed in the the Holy of Holies in the Temple, and it brought them celebration and joy. At best, it did all of these things, and at best, God used the Ark of the Covenant to display His power and His glory in the midst of the Israelites when they went to battle, when they did this, that, and the other thing. At best, that's what happened. But you know what happened over the years? The people forgot. The people forgot time and time again. It just became a thing. Uh, Babylon's got their uh, um, idols and this place has got Baal and we've got kids' sacrifices and we've got this and that. And yeah, Israel, they've got their Ark of the Covenant and their temple. And it just became an element in their day-to-day lives, just an ordinary thing that just they took for granted. And they took pride in it, they liked it, they were like, we're the people of God, we have the Ark of the Covenant, we have the Temple. But you know what happened? When they would take it out to battle, no more victories. When, when bless you, when they would, when they would, uh, when they would try to seek and call on God, there would be no answer. When they were in the midst of, and about to be, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, exiled from the land and they called on God and they, they you know, uh, God did not hear. Why? Not because God all of a sudden just lost his mojo or like those things were too old now and they didn't have any power anymore. No, it's because God wasn't there anymore. You see, it's not about the actual manner. It's not about the actual t- stones. It's not about the actual rod or the staff. It's about the, the God who worked those things into existence and what he wanted them to remember and how he wanted them to engage with him. And they stopped. They stopped engaging with him. And the power left the land. And the people were exiled. And the prophet Jeremiah, he saw all this unfolding. Uh, he saw in the reign of King Josiah how it was all going to turn bad and how everyone was about to be exiled. And, and he wrote this. He looked to a future day. He prophesied that the exile was going to happen, you're all going to die, or most of you are going to die, and you know, many of you are never going to see this land again. But he, he prophesied about a future day in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 14 to 17. He, uh, and this is what he says 
uh, this is what God says through Jeremiah the prophet. Return faithful people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town, two from a clan, and bring you to Zion, the city of God. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. In those days when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, people will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. What Jeremiah is saying is, even though this evil is about to overtake you, even though you're all going to fall away and many of you will be killed and destroyed, but God has a plan that one day the ark, which after this was never seen again, you wouldn't even need it. You won't even remember it. Because God's got something bigger and greater in, in store. He will be dwelling amongst you in person. His presence will fill every single one of us. His activity and His power won't be restricted to this box that you hold out in front of you, but will be inside your very hearts. Jeremiah looked forward to this day. And guess what? We've seen that day. There is a better manna. There is a better bread. The bread of life. The man who was Jesus who came to earth and through his broken body didn't just feed people in the wilderness but gives us eternal life. There's a better rod of Aaron, a better marker of God's delegation for authority and rulership in the man of Jesus, the Messiah, the great high priest, not just a high priest or the first high priest, the great high priest who pleads before God on our behalf and whose blood himself gives us eternal atonement and coverage for our sins, who brought us back to Him. There's a better, um, there's a better Ten Commandments. There's a better, there's a better uh, version of the Ten Commandments. There's a better covenant. There's a new covenant forged by the one who was able to keep all the commandments, the perfect, sinless Son of God, who lived a life that was devoid of any sin, who never broke a law whatsoever, and who forged a new covenant by His blood on the cross. And this... Ladies and gentlemen, when the Bible talks about your heart being a temple, there's supposed to be an Ark of the Covenant inside that temple. And that Ark of the Covenant, that, that presence of God, is the Holy Spirit. He promises that to you. He says to you that when you submit, when you go to Him acknowledging who you are, recognizing your sin, when you love Him with all your heart, when you do declare your need for Him, that He enters your life, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and that His presence becomes the new source of life in your life to be able to help you live out this life that He wanted all along for all of humanity, that He wanted for the Israelites, that He came to die for, um, and that He wants for your friends, your neighbors, your uni friends, your work colleagues, all these people. And He says to you, put that in your heart. What has He done for you? What what things does he want you to collect and store in your heart to remind you of his goodness, his faithfulness, his sacrifice, his ability to impact and change your life, his peaceful uh, reign and, and his desire for peace in your life? All these what is What is he doing? And again, it's not about what he's done. The Israelites only ever looked back. They only ever looked at what he did in the past and looked at these relics and it lost its power. Because it's not about what he's done, it's a relationship. He's inside you. 
and he's looking for a new thing to do every single day. So what, what has he done? But what is he doing? And what is he going to do? And are you seeking that? Are you searching that? Are you waiting for the next little thing to store in your heart, to treasure it, to make it grow in there and to feed you and feed the new life that God is wanting to bring about in you? Or are you just looking at the past or maybe your heart is still as stony and thorny as it was or as it always has been and you haven't let God do any work in it yet. That's what we're talking about today. I just want to give us an opportunity to respond. Uh, so if we can just close our eyes and bow our heads. <clears throat> this is a precious time to be able to uh, let God reveal things to you. Uh, this is a precious time to, to be bare in front of God. There's no need to wear a mask. There's no need to, um, to do anything other than just let God talk to you and reveal what he wants to you right now. All the eyes are closed and all the heads are bowed. What's your heart look like? What's God showing you? Is it soft? Is it eager for Him? Is it a temple that is just filled with His presence? Have you already got all these wonderful, beautiful things that God's doing in your life and has done in your life that you display proudly and that you remember and you let fill you with life and promise? Or is that Ark of the Covenant a bit bare or empty? Are there cobwebs? Is there maybe just relics of the past but nothing, no promise for the future, no hope? Or yeah, is it just a rocky wasteland? There's no temple, there's no nothing, there's no spirit of God, there's no promise, there's no hope, there's no power, there's no revelation. Cry out to him. He promises to hear you when you cry out to him. So Lord, before you now, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your heart for us. We thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness, your desire for us to draw near and for the fact that you draw near to us first. We thank you, Lord, that you revealed yourself, not just in trinkets and items, but in the very person of who you were as when you came to earth, Lord. We thank you that you promise us your spirit. We thank you that you promise to help us in our journey. Lord, I pray for every single person here tonight and every single person who um, yearns and desires to know you more. Lord, I just pray that you would pour out, pour out your Holy Spirit, that we would know the revelation, the truth of what it means to be people who live in the knowledge and the truth of your power and your unbelievable love for us, Lord. Live, help us live it out. Help us lean into you more. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you convict us and show us where we need to change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.